0: well okay the last couple of years has been light performance does that mean the next couple of years is going to be good performance and and really the longer that brisbane underperformed as a marketplace the bigger really the eruption was going to be and and ultimately that's what took place which um it's great Uh, many people have done well but also positioned themselves with assets That will do well during the next cycle, not just the past cycle, which is great. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Sagas, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show at Code Cracker, we're going to dig into, well, my performance as a podcaster. Yes, I am giving myself a review, a performance review. We're actually going to dig into predictions that I've talked about over the last 150 podcasts, what I've done well, where I've failed you as a podcaster on real estate, We're going to have a performance review. It's time. Should I continue to podcast? Am I a worthy podcaster? These are deep questions. So today I thought I would reminisce about many of the things I've talked about and discuss what I've done well and what I haven't done so well when it comes to guiding people through their property journey as a property investor so i tell you what thanks for tuning in and of course if it's your first time tuning into the show welcome aboard uh welcome aboard play the program in double speed get your life back it's our golden rule here of course all the episodes i've done and lessons on real estate so if reminiscing about the days of old bores you senseless then well feel free to go back choose a podcast that may Share a lesson or two for your property investment journey and get your ears going. Welcome back, of course, you crazy urban property investors. I hope your investments are doing well. I hope you are doing well. I am feeling good. I'm buzzed. Uh, I've even decided for nostalgia's sake to wear the green jacket as advertised on the podcast icon to celebrate, obviously, talking about 150 episodes. We're well past 150 episodes, by the way, but I thought we should do a bit of a show. What have we learned over the years? What are the predictions that we have done well as property investors through the podcast and what have we failed at miserably? So let's crack into it. Uh, There's a lot to talk about and uh, certainly I... I'm going to give myself a bit of a scorecard at the end as to how we've done through the last couple of years. Of course, the podcast kicked off uh, basically when COVID kicked off and as such um, was a very interesting time to commence being a podcast. I was a bit late to the party. I was a late bloomer as a podcast uh, podcaster. But uh, really, the idea of the show came about by myself and a town planner, a friend of mine, Melissa Nabar, who is an expert town planner. We were looking to team up and do a podcast together, and we wanted to talk about really urban change, uh, town planning ideas, uh, how to create higher and better use out of real estate, but also urban fundamentals around how people choose to live, work and play. Melissa and myself, well, we did about seven pilot episodes. There was some good stuff in those episodes, but Melissa tapped out. She wasn't into it. She had uh, too much on with her family and work commitments. She also has gone on to join and do much bigger and better things than me. She Today speaks at Future Crunch, which is an incredible organization around uh, giving people light bulb moments about what the future has in store for us as human beings, as business people, as regular people out in the world. She provides that. So, after that, after losing my bestie, and she's still uh, a great friend. I decided, hey, maybe it's better I just do this alone. And of course, started on my journey of talking about real estate non-stop. In the beginning, I thought, well, should I have guests? And I've listened to so many great podcasts out in the marketplace, whereby guests are part of that uh, concept. And I thought, you know what? Why do what everyone else is doing? Why not just go with it alone? I've got a lot of content I can deliver. I can teach people by myself. I uh, don't necessarily need to uh, interview people because that podcast space is is very well uh, very well underway in Australian real estate and there's some great podcasts out there beyond me. And I think it's very good to have a few podcasters you listen to when it comes to uh, your wealth creation journey. Uh, Certainly, I try and give an unbiased viewpoint on my um, interpretation of the market, but we all carry biases. And I'm sure uh, certainly when I listen to other points of view created through other podcasters, you can see there is a few narratives going on. And I think it's always good to get a bit of a balanced viewpoint of what is going on in the real estate economy. Some great podcasters out there. They're usually in that sort of top 100 podcasts in Australia when it comes to education or business or um, or just, you know, uh, particularly in property um so you know there's the silver fox there's the elephants there's all of those guys they do such a wonderful job um so you know get out there explore listen educate yourself there's um so many so many valuable points that you can learn But I chose the podcast really to guide people myself um, and a big part of my journey is simply sharing information, guiding people through their world when it comes to being a property investor and uh, hey, uh, I think over the last 150 plus episodes, I've got more things right than I've got wrong. So let's go through really the concepts I've done well when it comes to real estate as an investment. I want to start with Brisbane. Brisbane is a marketplace which has been a gift to property investors over the last 36 months. And of course, really the Brisbane story was a story which I had been telling for a long time to help people recognize that there was an opportunity to get accelerated growth, capital growth from that market due to the compression of performance from many years of stagnation in the Brisbane market. It was like bottling up. And uh, really, uh, I think through this podcast, I've been able to share really how brilliant Brisbane is as a city. And of course, Help guide people into that marketplace. Obviously, well before I started the podcast, I was pro Brisbane, but I think sharing as much information as I could about the Brisbane economy and also uh, guiding people through how Brisbane works was uh, a win. I'm going to give myself a good score on that. Well before Brisbane was a trend, well before it was a fad, I was in there working out where to invest, finding locations that had great investment um, criteria and putting deals together that really worked for people and I'm pleased to say so many people have just done so well out of their investments. At first, a lot of people felt very negative, in fact, about investments in Brisbane because when they bought, it was very stagnant. But a couple of years gone by, things started to really boom and really during that COVID period, everyone became a winner. And uh, really, the story of of Brisbane was a story of what is known as mean reversion, the idea that everything reverts to its long-term average and as such, um, that average um, takes, uh, you know, can, can get bottled up but eventually gets released. And, of course, today there are marketplaces which, again, have had lower years of performance over the last couple of years. And, again, you can use that methodology from investing to go, well, okay, the last couple of years has been light performance Does that mean the next couple of years is going to be good performance? And and really, the longer that Brisbane underperformed as a marketplace, the bigger, really, the eruption was going to be. And and ultimately, that's what took place, which um, is great. Uh, Many people have done well, but also positioned themselves with assets that will do well during the next cycle, not just the past cycle, which is great. So I think we nailed that on the podcast, um, which was awesome. I think also during the podcast, I was the first to put out Brisbane winning the Olympics. And really, I put it out the week that Brisbane won the Olympics. And I was able to do that because I was really, really confident on the Olympic bid of Brisbane. Uh, I had put myself in a position to learn from some experts inside the Brisbane market. I'd spend time even with the Lord Mayor of Brisbane, learning about what they were doing to win the Olympic Games. Uh, I'd learned really around the idea of the Olympics coming to Brisbane some seven years before really that podcast. And I was confident that... Brisbane would have win the Olympics so confident. I recorded the program uh, well before the announcement was made and played it basically um, yeah, what was feeling like real time to showcase that uh, really Brisbane um, nailed it. And uh, really in real estate, you know, one of the benefits of Brisbane re- winning the Olympics is – the concept of free riding, which, of course, is just a simple formula. You know, where infrastructure is going, there's an opportunity to get growth, which is not created through the productive means of the investor, rather the productive means of taxpayers. And uh, ultimately, companies, government, taxpayers will be chipping in to build something pretty incredible inside of brisbane and uh as a property investor i i've been leveraging on that for a very very long time um knowing really there was no uh competition for brisbane really brisbane was a standalone winner there wasn't really up against too many other cities so it uh it was going to win it was going to win and it has won and um Really, I think I, I can score myself really highly for that concept, for making sure that investors knew about that concept. The next uh, part of the puzzle, which I think I've done well over the podcast series, is to explain to people that real estate is very much a live, work, play formula today. Now, I've got a model which I've shared. I've shared it uh, as a guest lecturer at universities. I've shared it uh, with my students that I coach. It's called the Urban Behavioural Economy, and it's really just a formula that real estate will do very well into the future based on how people associate their property to living, working, playing, movement, knowledge, and wellness. If you put all those ingredients together and you find a property which has all of those ingredients, it's going to do very, very well. Now, I wrote about this well before COVID came along. Uh, I wrote about it uh, in a book I published in 2019 that uh, really society was going to be very attracted to this concept that if they could work from home or work uh, in their building they live in or they were close to living to work, but they could also have lifestyle through playing, um, having some fun, having great community, but also be able to move, get around, um, and also where there's an element of wellness whereby – properties close to parkland whereby the community embraces good food um, and also knowledge whereby smart people were also part of the community, you're going to get exponential capital growth from real estate. and I've talked about this uh, really from day dot of my podcasting. I think I've nailed it. I think I've nailed what that Is Because if you look at the capital growth, um, you know, results of really live, work, play, lifestyle marketplaces, they've become just exponential when it comes to the results. And of course, you know, one marketplace to recognize that really was live, work, play, full of wellness, full of knowledge, uh, less so movement, Byron Bay over the last three years of my podcast has, has you know basically doubled in value. And again, micro suburbs, which really offer the Byron Bay effect, if you like, have gone on to perform very well. So it's a big part of my journey is I love looking for that concept. I add mobility to it or movement in cities because obviously you want to get around, you need transport, there's more density than, say, Byron Bay, but I use Byron Bay as an example to showcase through podcasting, I've been able to get that really, really, um, uh, you know, I, I get a high score for that. And again, um, off the back of that is the concept of leading lifestylers, which is just basically a mode of human being people today want lifestyle they'll pay for lifestyle and they're generally quite affluent people and really the concept of today in australia if we go to where the leading lifestylers want to live they will pay more for real estate and as such we can um piggyback off what they will pay for real estate because they're going to continue to come. And again, um, I think it's fair to say through my podcast and sharing really my models, I've I've got that one um, absolutely 100% well done and perfect. Great score. I'm giving myself a good review on that one. I think also uh, when it comes to what I've spoken about and forecast through my podcast over the years, is that we are into economic boats now. Uh, We've got really the comfortable and the wealthy being able to buy real estate um, and uh, get really lifestyle-based tenants. Um, And I've also really um, expressed that there are people struggling to make ends meet. And you know, ever since I've been podcasting, I've been talking about the have and have not society, which Australia is. Australia does not have a middle class. It has the wealthy, the comfortable and the rest. That's basically how it works. And really 40% of society today is wealthy and comfortable and 60% of society is um, yeah, less so comfortable. And so from a a value proposition, um, finding real estate and talking about real estate, which is linked to the top 40% of comfortable to wealthy, has been really my message. And again, I think I've got that bang on. I think um, it's fair to say now with inflation rearing up, the cost of living becoming uh, more of a pressure, it's... uh, it makes sense more now what I was talking about. When I was talking about it when the cash rate was half a percent, no one probably really appreciated that I was talking about. Today there are two economic boats. Um, Some people are struggling to keep up with the cost of living. Um, Their wages just don't outflank inflation. And then you've got 40% of society which – really their assets, their money situation is just improving because of inflation rather than going backwards. The split is very much underway. So knowledge economics is uh, something that I've also spoken about. And I think I've got this one very, very uh, well dialed in as well. And I think um, it's fair to say, you know, I've spoken about the idea that AI, artificial intelligence, blockchain tech, robotics is going to revolutionize economics, is going to revolutionize the jobs market. And I've been very boisterous through my podcasts on what that looks like. Again, probably didn't mean much until OpenAI came along and chat. GDP has game-changed what it means to go to work. All of a sudden, we have a robot that works alongside us uh, in such a way that is, again, um, going to transform the real estate economy into the future. So, very much, um, I think I've nailed what that looks like and sharing that with people um you know, over the podcasts that I've done has been obviously something which I think um, is is very accurate. What else I think I've got accurate is really, as I alluded to, two types of tenants. We've got the tenants which are half a week away from being broke, and we've got lifestyle tenants. and And it's fair to say, again, you can see the maths in rent increases. Um, lifestyle tenants' rents are going up you know two three four hundred dollars a week um, during this current supply shortage and uh, battler tenants of course are getting rent increases but much softer levels of dollar increase with twenty thirty dollars um put on to that real estate as an increase and again um I've just been very boisterous about this, that uh, there's a lot of Gopniks in society and uh, there's a lot of properties which, um, you know, they're just not an attraction tool to the young, uh, the ambitious, the wealthy family. Um, They're just not an attraction tool. They're in the wrong suburbs to begin with and... The broke end of town is going to struggle um, and asking the broke end of town to pay more is a difficult thing to do. Asking the more affluent end of town who are in a completely economic, different economic boat is a, a much better value proposition. And again, a lot of my clients have gone from really... Um, uh, a cash flow point where they're now positive cash flow from their lifestyle assets off the back of really this latest surge in inflation, which has been great. So, definitely got that right. Uh, definitely was able to share that. You can go back to, I don't know, podcast three, and I was probably talking about that one um, because it was so obvious as to how it was going to unfold. Probably what else um, I've done quite well and have openly shared from day dot and certainly, um, you know, wanted to voice the concern was around green economics, the green economy. Um, It's fair to say that a lot of properties today are devalued off the back of climate change. Uh, You can go to Lismore and just see that um, amazingly, government is having to buy back a large proportion of that town because it can't exist basically anymore during a climate transformation. And uh, it's, it's pretty incredible that really that is unfolding, that today there are real estate places which are basically victims of climate change. You can't insure the properties, you can't Uh, you know, live in the properties normally um, over a five-year period without some sort of devastating effect coming in to affect uh, the real estate. And of course, La Nina and El Nino are a big, big uh, challenge for Australia. Um, All of that uh, weather system, if you like, creates floods and droughts and bushfires, and of course, um, as we go through this climate change, that just becomes more and more more and more challenging. So I've been very, very boisterous around um, that over my podcast series. And again, probably made no sense to people whatsoever at the start of my podcast. But by the time Lismore was fundamentally getting purchased back off the australian government it started to make sense that we want real estate in very climate resilient very uh how shall i put it populated places whereby government needs to look after their citizens we don't want to be the forgotten property in the forgotten town that really no one really cares about with our real estate because of climate change so better brands better suburbs Brand suburbs, if we can get into them with our budget, are going to hold their value and, of course, see through things like changes in how the climate affects real estate. I've also been very accurate around boomer economics. Now, of course, baby boomers are getting much older. Some are reaching maximum life maturity And really, the next wave of real estate is going to be driven off the back of really the inheritance transfer or the uh, trillion dollar transfer from the much older to the much younger. It's already really commenced. Uh, Grandparents are helping grandchildren. Older parents are helping uh, younger people really keep up with the cost of living. And of course, most people who can share their wealth at an older age are sharing it again with generally people in that top uh, level of economics where they're already quite comfortable. And so, again, like um, it's, it's probably fair to say that the idea of understanding real estate from a structural change point of view is something that I've been able to share with people. And really that uh, conversation that real estate booms are actually structural change is again something that I think I score very highly on on how I um, have communicated that and uh, really communicated that through COVID, that COVID was a structural change and it's going to lead to price increases. And again, like at the start of COVID, um, and I've got many witnesses where we stopped, we did events, and we told people, uh, this is a great money opportunity because the cash rate's gonna fall um, and so many people are gonna have an opportunity to to bounce into the market and ride the structural transformation. Real estate is delivered in structural transformations. You could go back to the 1970s, two-income households, the 1990s, deregulation of banks, the early 2000s, huge wage growth of Mining Boom 1. You could go to uh, the GFC. You could go to uh, APRA. You could go to the... um, COVID-19 experience and you get structural shifts that push up the real estate market and push down the real estate market. And again, I think I score very highly in communicating structural shifts and score very highly in also explaining command-led economics. The idea that uh, real estate is really a structural economy and a command-led economy. If you have things like uh, the APRA stopping lending, um, that's going to command the copper economy to cool down. If you've got the Reserve Bank, um, you know, continuously putting up rates, that's going to command the economy to put up rents. It's all commanded. And again, I've been very boisterous in what that looks like, which um, I think I've done very, very well. I think I've also, uh, you know, helped people understand the millennial economy that uh, millennials are at a family formation stage and of course are looking for new housing and of course a lot of that new housing is found in uh land corridors i've been open about to say population growth corridors are population growth not property growth corridors But community comes first and if you can find a great community in a population growth corridor because of the millennial family formation uh, occurring, you're going to get capital growth. And lo and behold, really off the back of millennials shifting to uh, many of the outer suburbs inside of society, you've seen large levels of capital growth. So I think uh, I've done really, really well when it comes to most of those narratives, all of those narratives. Probably uh, what I have been surprised about and not probably got right um, is a few things. So the first one I think was just how much people will work from home. Um, I certainly see today the trend is reversing that people are looking to, in fact, join companies which are a little bit more, um, you know, in the office, um, a little bit even more boutique. Um, I see today that people are actually also, you know, craving, um, I guess, company and social interaction with people. Um, But certainly I probably had no idea that spatial transformation would influence the real estate market off the back of people working from home like it has. Um, I always knew the knowledge economy, the laptop lifestylers, if you like, were capable of working from home. But probably where I didn't put the two together was that the extra space you're going to need in your house because you're going to work from home. And of course, this is one argument as to why rents are climbing so much is today less people actually live in houses and homes and apartments than they once did. Um, Or less people per property live in the property. And so all of a sudden, instead of having, you know, Uh, a two-room apartment for two people you've got a two-room apartment for one person who uses the other room um, for work from home dynamics and so that of course um, is something that I uh, didn't necessarily get wrong and I didn't get it right I just hadn't really factored it into my logic as a uh, as a property investor that that was going to become a thing inside of real estate. Very interesting Interesting demographic shift inside of real estate. Probably what else I uh, didn't factor in was the millennials going uh, regional by, you know, up to sort of two, two and a half hours from their workplace. Um, Really, COVID has shown that people are happy to drift into regional places as long as they can connect to their workplace, um, perhaps family within a driving commute. Um, And when you think about the great cities that feed into our big cities, they have been the beneficiary of really that change in how millennials are prepared to live. Um, Certainly... I've always been an advocate of feeder cities to uh, capital cities through my five cities plan. Um, by way of example, you know I've heavily invested in Newcastle, which feeds into Sydney. The two economies are interlinked. Um, you know other feeder cities: the Sunshine Coast to Brisbane, Gold Coast to Brisbane, Geelong to Melbourne, Ballarat to Melbourne. Great examples of feeder cities. Probably, uh, I was not wrong about not investing in feeder cities. Um, I've always advocated to invest in feeder cities as part of the five cities, five properties plan, which if you're not familiar with that plan, it's just the concept that if you want to replace your income from real estate, you're going to need several properties to do that by virtue of... Uh, the mathematics that real estate can create. And of course, you're probably going to need to do that in different locations due to concepts such as land tax. So, uh, and of course, if you can't afford a world city, uh, a new world city, or a or a million person plus city, then you've got to go to feeder cities, to the regional marketplaces. So I've always been an advocate that you should do that, um, and certainly um, when COVID hit and people went regional, my advice was to go to southeast Queensland still because it was um, as good a regional marketplace connected to a city as you're going to get. I was very right in the results of what that uh, what occurred: uh, Brisbane, Gold Coast did so well and that's where i was really advocating for people to buy if they had not jumped into those markets probably when i think of regional as well and i've i've talked about this in the past on podcasts. like sometimes i struggle with the concept that geelong is regional like it's 75 k's from melbourne um the two places are interlinked um it's it's a big place uh i struggle with the fact that the gold coast is considered regional it's got an international airport um and uh certainly regional capital growth rates have done really 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 well um and no doubt the weighted average from regional capital to growth rates comes from the weight of feeder cities such as geelong gold coast newcastle um Where I probably was, um, you know, um, not wrong. I still think I'm right, but I was very cautious to go, well, jump on the fad and go and buy in small regional communities, just because I know the migration patterns to small regional communities, townships of 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people, the tap can get turned on very quickly because generally that type of regional investment um, is a bit of a fad. It lacks really uh, what we refer to as pie economics, population infrastructure and jobs. And when uh, you analyze your retirement, do you really want your piece of real estate linked to a small community Uh and linked to how you end up in your retirement days we know by way of example that open ai may shred thousands of jobs we know by way of example that 65% of kids today in school are not going to have the jobs that exist today they're going to have completely different jobs connected to robotics energy um Uh, AI open AI um, and blockchain tech. So um, I'm a big believer in sticking to the cities or big feeder cities, as opposed to going regional to the point where it's considered very small in Australia. If it's not really part of the top 10 places in Australia, top 10, 12 cities, I don't really want to know about it. I guess, from a capital growth point of view though, there has been some great performance in those smaller communities and it's fair to say um, I wasn't on board with that. And uh, I still think though, over the measured over the long term, that owning a property where people go to die is not a smart thing to do. And uh, as such, I feel I'm right by saying you should still stick to the major places when it comes to investing um and if your budget allows you just hunker down in those areas and wake up in 20 years with a smile on your face so your properties um go on to perform very very well i guess uh probably what else i hadn't considered inside of australian real estate is uh really virtues uh Today, human beings, consumer virtuism is a thing. Um, people migrate now because of their virtues. And I, I hadn't uh, probably did not realize uh, that uh, today people are willing to pack up and leave if they don't believe in a political situation inside of a state or territory. And uh, I guess virtue is migration is a real thing inside of Australia people are very very in tune with how they feel what they believe in what they think right and wrong is um, and of course because of social media we get fed really what we want to hear and they call that the doom loop Um, And for a lot of people, they're on a certain doom loop and listen to certain narratives around uh, conversations. Hence why I'm like, there's some great podcasts, you know, like, thank you for listening to me. I hope you're, you know, enjoying what I deliver. Um, But, you know, like, you've got to explore as well. And so interesting, Interstate Migration off the back of a dissatisfaction with politics is real and i i it's not that i feel like i got it wrong i i i probably had no comprehension that it was a people felt that um alienated that they had to leave i know people who have left australia because they're not happy with the politics and they've gone to back to for example the united kingdom I know people that have left uh, Melbourne during the Dan Andrews lockdowns to basically, um, you know, move to a completely different states and will never go back because of the way things were run there. I know people who absolutely hate the uh, leadership in the Queensland government and have left the state due to disagreements with the government so it's so interesting that um, consumer virtuism is is now rife um, companies you now deal with need to be um, aligned with who you are uh, you need to brand alliances with your values is a real thing i noticed this in real estate i work in real estate um, i tried to find real estate with a high thermal efficiency a lot of the real estate i put together will have a six seven eight star energy rating efficiency and a lot of people value that because they value the idea that the climate matters and uh, not only do i help people make money out of real estate from a mathematics point of view but also from a virtue point of view that really what I put together has some sustainability around it when it comes to, um, you know, the the way the world works. So from a Virtues point of view, people appreciate that, or some people do. And then on top of that, you've got things like um, Green Star Home Loans, which link to, again, the idea that um, certain properties put together can get a lower interest rate because they are better for the environment again virtuism it's a thing uh the companies we choose the people we hang out with the podcasters we listen to the information we take off social media it's all about our values and again uh value-based migration is a real thing um which Um, is an interesting formula which i certainly don't feel i uh explained during the last uh, 150 podcasts but certainly i'm on top of it now that that is a real thing happening at a global level a lot of people for example leaving california in the united states of america to go and live in other states because they do not like the politics um You're in America, you've got, you know, people who are really passionate about politics, more so probably than here in Australia. And you uh, often see the battles between the Democrats and the Republicans from the left and the right of society. And of course, uh, if you're more pro politically right, but you live in a left, State in america what is unfolding is people are leaving and trying to find where they belong based on their values uh people are leaving right uh wing states and going to left-wing states people are leaving left-wing states and going to right-wing states uh it blows my mind that um again people really really now um have a level of disenfranchisement that they feel that's strong enough to get up and go. They're disenfranchised from the system, and I think we'll start to see more of this stuff, where people are uh, who feel potentially that they're um, not winning from where they live. They'll get up and go, and um, a lot of it has to do with again. Um, people's virtues and people's political ideology, political migration. Definitely something which I think is amazing. It's happening at a global level and um, it will continue to happen here locally as well. But of course, Australia is blessed uh, because we have migration economics something again, which I've done uh, podcasts on and I think I've done a very good job at explaining that Australia has a business plan. It's to bring more migrants here. More migrants uh, creates, um, again, um, the ability for the economy to grow. And that's really the basis of why property investment is quite safe and sound in Australia. There's always another person coming along, uh, coming into the country and they don't bring a uh, property with them. They don't... uh, transfer from another country with a property in their handbag. So uh, really, you know, again, um, I'd score myself pretty well for explaining that concept to people. All right. Well, that's it. That's my review. Um, I don't know. As a self-reviewer, I'm going to give myself a 7 out of 10. I think there's always room for improvement. Um, There's many things I can share and teach and there's still more lessons to go so continue to tune in continue to be an urban property investor and hey i want to thank you guys for choosing me to be a big part of your journey i really really appreciate it um and i tell you what if you've liked the 150 odd podcasts i've done thus far what would be great is if you could take just two minutes out of your day leave a review uh, leave me a review on your phone um, where you listen to the show, whether it's uh, Spotify, Apple, or wherever it may be. The reason being is it helps me reach many other people, and I do want to share as much as I can on real estate to other people. And without those reviews, the algorithm doesn't like me, the robots don't like me. So, uh, Hey, that's my shout out to you guys. But I hope you've enjoyed the last 150 odd episodes and uh, 150 more to go. Chat soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.